If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Misty Winston on today's News Talk Radio TNT. Well, hey there, and welcome to the Misty Winston Show right here on today's News Talk. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to hang out with me. So much going on. Holy cow, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted already today. Um, Okay, so um, we have a great show. Kyle Anslone, friend of the show. He's here all the time. We love him. Uh, He's going to be joining us momentarily to discuss all things foreign policy. Um, But I do have uh, a couple quick notes to get through here at the top of the show. First of all, uh, tomorrow our guest is my dear friend, Jesse Jett, who is an incredible musician, artist, artist. poet, uh, you name it. He's just a really phenomenal guy. Um, But I just wanted to give you a heads up. Um, He is going to be playing a couple pieces from his new album uh, for us tomorrow. But if you want to check that out in advance, um, you can go to jessejet.bandcamp.com. All of his stuff is always free. um, uh, But if you want to contribute to uh, him, I'm sure that he would not mind at all. Uh, But it is free. You can just go and check out the album for yourself. And he's going to be playing, uh, uh, performing, I think, two pieces for us tomorrow when he's on the show. So, um, but I just wanted to give you a heads up. The album is available uh, so you can go check that out um, uh, prior to the show. Okay, also, so much Assange stuff going on. I know that w- uh, that's not surprising. Um, as we get closer to the court dates, there's going to be a ton of events happening, um, and there is definitely a ton of events happening. Now, I'm only going to mention a few here because I could literally take the entire hour and go through all of the different things that are happening in uh, the land of Assange activism. Uh, first of all, selfishly, um, I've, I've been doing my own kind of um, call to action over the past several weeks. Um, we are trying to get people to make as many phone calls as humanly possible here in the United States um, uh, to get people, especially to House members, to get people to sign on to House Resolution 934. Uh, that is a piece of bipartisan legislation that aims to uh, both see the charges against Julian Assange dropped and also to protect journalistic activity. Um, so it's a big deal. It's not just, I mean, there's been a couple bipartisan letters, which... I hate the strongly worded letter thing. It's so ridiculous. Um, I mean, it's good in terms of, uh, you know, uh, getting attention, I guess, on an issue, but it really does nothing. But this is actual legislation. um, And so I think there are maybe six or seven different co-sponsors currently. So we need to put a significant amount of pressure on members of the House. Um, So the phone number uh, for the main switchboard, uh, this is just you call in, you tell them where you're at, and they will direct you to your proper House uh, member. Uh, So the number for that is 2022. 2243121 um and again just call Almost certainly, if you call the D.C. office, you will almost certainly get an answering service. Very rarely do you ever get a human being. Um, uh, So just leave a message or if you're speaking with an intern, uh, just tell them who you are, uh, what district you're in, whatever, uh, that you are a constituent of the person that you are calling and um, uh, ask them nicely but firmly to sign on to House Resolution 934. Now, to kind of go along with that, um, Kelly Lane and Matthew Ho. Kelly Lane is um, phenomenal. She is a co-producer for Assange Countdown to Freedom, which is hosted by my friend Randy Credico. Um, they are doing, and Matthew Ho is a, uh, uh, he's a veteran, um, longtime activist. He's the director, associate director of the Eisenhower Media Network. Um, he's been on this show. He's a longtime Assange activist. He's an, he's just an awesome dude. Um, but they are doing, oh, and he's also a former candidate for Senate in uh, North Carolina. Um, but they are doing a joint um, show uh, at, trying to um, 
put pressure on candidates by getting people who are running for office um, to publicly uh, say that they would be willing to support uh, House Resolution 934. So they are doing a live stream this Saturday. Yeah, this Saturday, January 20th. Um, they haven't decided on an exact time yet, but they're saying sometime in between 6 and 7 p.m. Eastern. Um, so go and check that out. They're going to be discussing House Resolution 934 and how you can put pressure um, on these elected officials through different candidates. So if we can get candidates to uh, publicly support Julian Assange. That'll also put pressure on those people who they're running against. Also, uh, there's a big event taking place on January 29th. This one is actually taking place. Uh, it's a physical event that's taking place, but they're also going to be live streaming it. So this one is going to be um, uh, with Senator David Shoebridge from Australia, Jennifer Robinson, who is uh, Assange's, one of Assange's long-serving uh, attorneys, uh, Mary Kostakitas, who's an Australian journalist, and David, or I'm sorry, Dr. Arthur Chesterfield Evans, who's an Australian doctor, former surgeon, and former politician. I assume he is um, almost certainly going to be uh, uh, talking about Assange's health, which has been declining for a very long time. He's been in a very precarious situation in terms of his health. Um, so I'm sure that that is going to be uh, quite a huge part of that conversation. So um, if you want to go to um, Kathy Vogan, who's actually going to be on the show next week, she's a journalist with Consortium News. Uh, if you go to her Twitter page, which is at Kathy Vogan SPK, she has tweeted out the flyer for that and a little brief synopsis of what that event's going to be like. So those are um, just a couple of the events that are taking place. There's so many things happening right now as we, again, those court dates are on February 20th and 21st. Um, so that we're trying to put as much pressure on as we can. There's a lot of stuff taking place. There's a lot of actions and events and rallies and um, all kinds of stuff, live streams and all kinds of stuff. So um, if you can go and share as much of that stuff as uh, as you can find to get it past the algorithm, support all of that stuff, um, you know, view it yourself, share it with friends, uh, talk about it, all of that good stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, if you can get to a physical event near you, please do that as well. We need as much as much help as we can get, please and thank you. Um, okay, so don't forget you can follow me over on the tweeters at Sarcasm Stardust. Check out the Substack, mistywinston.substack.com. Uh, there's a write-up for the guest of the day every day so that you can find, follow, and support their work as well. And if you would like, shoot me an email, mistywinston at tntradio.live. Um, guest idea, show idea, I love that stuff. Hit me up. I love hearing who you guys would like to um, uh, have me talk to. Uh, or if you just have a question, comment, complaint, uh, feel free to email me and I will try to get back to you as soon as possible. And my friends, do not miss out on a thing. Download the TNT Radio app. That's how I listen. I listen on the app. You can get it at either the Apple App Store or Google Play. Uh, so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download for free. Keeping you up to speed right here on today's News Talk. Conversations to inform and include. It's meant for everyday people to understand. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. All right, y'all. Some people's Trump derangement syndrome is stronger than others. It's so there's a lot of it. Uh, according to Justice Department prosecutors, a formal internal internal revenue service contractor took the job specifically to steal and leak President Donald Trump's tax returns. It's very funny. Uh, here with the story, joining me now is TNT News producer Adam Clark, aka Ruckus. So, all right, we have people joining the IRS uh, just to become a whistleblower. Is that what I'm getting? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, for for all the single ladies out there who hate Trump, uh, they might think this guy's a catch. He's certainly motivated, isn't he? Uh, speaking of motivation, 
Um, you're, you, you said you're into like true crime stuff. So you're, you're familiar yeah. with in the world of criminal investigation. There's the Holy Trinity. There's uh, the means motive and opportunity, right? When it comes yep. to like committing a crime. Um, I've always thought that, Hey, you know, you can have all the means and the motive in the world. Uh, but that just means you might be guilty of a dark fantasy or, you know, whatever, but it doesn't really get to be an actual crime until you're faced with the opportunity. <laughs> and this guy, wow, he knows how to work his opportunity, doesn't he? Uh, this is one Washington resident, Charles Littlejohn. He pleaded guilty in October last year to one count of unauthorized disclosure of tax returns and return information after he was accused of stealing and leaking data associated not only with President Trump, but also other wealthy individuals. Trump was the big, big reason, though. In a 15-page filing, prosecutors passed for the maximum statutory sentence of five years, five years in prison. Still, still, you know, you, you want to get some heavy, heavy handedness in prison. you got to be a J6er. Uh, anyways, they argued <laughs> that Mr. Little John's betrayal of the public trust, quote, merits significant punishment, end quote. Uh, Mr. Little John had access to, quote, vast amounts of unmasked taxpayer data, end quote, when he worked for Booz Allen. Love that name. That's a consulting firm working with public and private clients, mostly on IRS contracts between 2008 and 2013. After President Trump, this was while he was president, uh, when he took office in 2017, after that, Mr. Littlejohn sought to return to work for Booz Allen, quote, with the intention of accessing and disclosing, end quote, the tax returns of the president, whom he viewed as, quote, dangerous and a threat to democracy, end quote. This, according to prosecutors, I believe Mr. Littlejohn fancied himself some sort of superhero. Uh, prosecutors said that Mr. Littlejohn, quote, weaponized his access to unmasked taxpayer data to further his own personal political agenda, believing that he was above the law, end quote. This went on for more than two years with multiple news organizations receiving unlawfully leaked private tax returns and other private financial information. Prosecutors did not name the news organizations that received the stolen tax returns in court records, but ProPublica and the New York Times published multiple articles reporting on the leaked documents. Uh, pro prosecutors said in the filing, quote, a free press and public engagement with the media are critical to any healthy democracy. But stealing and leaking private personal tax information strips individuals of the legal protection of their most sensitive data. Everyone is entitled to equal protection under the law. End quote. Prosecutors pushing for the maximum sentence argued that Mr. Littlejohn leaked the tax returns of over a thousand individuals, resulting in significant harm, including invasion of privacy and psychological distress. They charged that Mr. Littlejohn's crime, quote, has undermined public faith and confidence in the IRS <clears throat> and institution. <laughs> That is critical to the effective functioning of our government, end quote. Well, we'll just leave that last bit out of it uh, other than for a laugh. Misty, what do you think about this story? That's my favorite sentence in the whole world, I think. That is fantastic. Um, okay, so listen, I have kind of mixed emotions about this because I love whistleblowers. You know that. I love whistleblowers. I, um, Especially people who are 
Um, obviously, there are whistleblowers who I think have nefarious intentions and who aren't doing it for the right reasons and all of that stuff. But it's, I mean, it's a difficult thing to judge. It's that's a difficult, uh, you know, uh, trying to make that judgment is difficult. But I think that, um, you know, if he were just uh, leaking information about Donald Trump, I don't think I would have a problem with it. I think if you're going to be the president of the United States, then you should have to release your tax returns. I want to know. I want to know what's in his tax tax returns. I want to know who he has business dealings with. I want to know who he could potentially be influenced by. Um, in his decisions as president of the United States of America. I think that that's a fair uh, request to be making. Um, so I don't really have, I mean, Julian Assange and WikiLeaks tried to get uh, his tax returns as well. Um, that's a big part of the uh, uh, the conspiracy theory that he was working with uh, Trump and with Russia to get him elected because he had a conversation with Trump Jr. Um, but he was a journalist requesting his tax returns. I mean, yeah, that's what he does. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, but the idea that he was leaking information about thousands of other people. And this article isn't super specific about who those people are, if they're just like regular Joe Schmoes um, who uh, are just uh, just regular Americans. And I, so that I have a serious issue with. But I think that, you know, Trump should, if, I think all presidential candidates should have to release their tax returns. I don't think that that's a, um, you know, a big ask. I would like to know who these people uh, have business dealings with. I want to know who uh, you're going to be influenced by. I want to know um, all of that stuff. I think that that's a reasonable thing to request. So I don't necessarily have a problem with him. Uh, you know, I, I obviously it is a crime, like it is something that he so it, I have no I also have no issue with him potentially facing some legal action here. But um, when you go into whistleblowing, you do so knowing that there is potential ramifications for that. And every whistleblower um, who I've ever dealt with or studied or researched about um, goes into it fully understanding that that there could be uh, legal action taken against them. And usually there is uh, people in power do not like whistleblowers very much. So um, I don't know. It's just funny. And you're right. Like it, it, he did. I think this guy probably did fancy himself to be kind of a little superhero um, and his name, Little John, I think I, like I just keep picturing him with like a cape uh, or strolling through the IRS. But um yeah, and also I think that the uh, the quote that they have in here of a free press and public engagement with the media are critical to any healthy democracy, but stealing and leaking private personal tax information strips individuals of the legal protection, blah, 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 blah. Um, I don't like how they are conflating this guy stealing and leaking private information to a free press and public engagement. Um, that's what they try to do with Julian Assange as well. Um, just because you publish information that is leaked to you, uh, that doesn't mean that you're the person who stole that information. And any journalist worth anything, if they are handed that information, is absolutely going to publish it. That is your job, and that should be protected under the First Amendment. So that conflation, uh, that quote there really kind of troubled me a little bit. But I don't know, Adam, what do you think? This guy's kind of funny. I I wonder if he's real. I mean, there there is, I, I'm, I'm just <laughs> right? saying, I mean, this is a strange a story point. to me. Because yeah, like there's there's not a lot of actual information coming out of this, uh, yeah. i.e. the other thousands of people. It also said here in one of the articles who was, oh, yeah, from the Epoch Times, they said it's not clear how officials were able to detect Mr. Little John's behavior. So if that's yeah. true, that's that's disturbing right there. Maybe that's a whole nother story. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I I, th I I hear what you're saying about whistleblowing. But to me, whistleblowing is like you work for a company and you discover they're doing something bad. You don't purposely insert yourself as some sort of undercover vigilante with the intention of like, <laughs> I, I don't buy this guy's story. I, I know we, we painted it, said that he probably fancies himself a hero. Uh, and he did mention that he feels Donald Trump was a threat to democracy. But I think that's just 
cover for him. I think he's just he knows what he could do with this information. He was probably trying to score a little blackmail on the side, yeah. maybe get some of this information to the rabid um, the media groups like the you know the tabloid people maybe he made a bunch of money doing this Misty that's all I can think but I don't think I don't think it's what they're they're trying to portray it as which is like oh look see yeah Trump and look yeah somebody was inspired to try to save the world and now he's being persecuted it's unfair yeah that's a great point it is a very fishy story like I was reading through this article and it's incredibly vague there's not a lot of detail about uh, the specifics of what exactly he did and who he uh, leaked information about. So that's a very good point, actually. And yeah, I mean, uh, maybe he saw Trump as being uh, a threat to democracy, whatever that even means at this point. Uh, but I'm sure also he probably got uh, paid quite a bit of money for this information. I have no doubt about that. So uh, certainly an interesting story. I don't know that there's going to be a follow up on this because I'm not sure how valid it is or how real it is. But we'll keep an eye on it. If we see anything else about it, we will certainly update you. Uh, thanks for bringing us this story, Adam. We will talk to you again tomorrow, as always. And hang tight. We're going to be back with Kyle Anslow and right here on TNT. TNT's Patrick Henningsen. Hamza Dahoud was the eldest son of the Gaza Bureau for Al Jazeera, while Dahoud, who previously lost other family members in Israeli bombing raid. And we would say that this is probably, in terms of conflicts, uh, this many journalists have been lost, uh, killed, injured, in the whole of the Second World War, and that lasted uh, a number of years. And only in the last three months are we scraping 100 on the uh, journalist uh, fatality list, which is coming fast and furious out of Gaza. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk TNT. Here's a bushfire fact. Bushfires can occur without warning. So if you're traveling during bushfire season, here are three simple steps to remember. 1. Check the fire danger rating before you go. The higher the fire danger rating, the more dangerous the conditions. It may be safer to replan your trip. 2. Think about the area you're going to and what you would do if a fire started. How would you escape the area if you needed to? And where would you go? Check if there's a neighborhood safer place. 3. It's dangerous to drive through smoke or fire. If you can't find a way to avoid the fire, park in a cleared area, face the car towards the fire, and turn the engine off. Then lie on the floor and cover yourself to protect yourself from radiant heat. Live bushfire ready. For more helpful tips, visit myfireplan.com.au today. TNTradio.live. Online. Online. Online streaming. Be a part of the conversation. I stream it all at work and I stream it to my phone and listen to it wherever I go. TNT. All right. We are here with my pal, Kyle Anslow, in front of the show. He is the opinion editor at antiwar.com and the news editor at the Libertarian Institute, uh, which you can find at libertarianinstitute.org. Please go support. I love both of those organizations. If you watch this show, you know that I uh, cite them on a regular basis. Um, he also sh uh, hosts the show Conflicts of Interest, uh, which you can find on YouTube, Rockfin, and Odyssey, as well as across all the various podcast platforms. Um, and you can follow him over on Twitter at Kyle Anzalone underscore kyle thanks for coming back to the show my friend happy to be back on with you today misty 
Yeah. Okay. Lots to talk about as always. So uh, Biden gave some <laughs> controversial remarks today about Yemen. Man, this guy is something else. Uh, but let's let's um, let's go back a little bit and let's uh, get people up to date about what exactly is taking place in Yemen. And you have several articles out over the past uh, little while here about the situation there. Um, so there's been numerous strikes. I think we're up to, th- is it three now? Three different strikes, U.S. strikes on Yemen at this point? Five. Five rounds of strikes. Five. I'm behind. Jeez Louise. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, okay. So you have an article out at antiwar.com. White House conducts an additional strike in Yemen. This is from January 13th. So this may be uh, slightly outdated. Um, uh, and this situation has been kind of boiling up here for the past several weeks. Um, uh, I don't know. Just just tell us what's going on here. Give us the update. Yeah, Missy. So the strikes on Yemen started on Thursday night and then very early Saturday morning, the U.S. carried out another strike. The first round of strike, uh, we now have reports that the U.S. and U.K. used about 150 munitions in that attack. Uh, Initially reported there was uh, about, I think, a dozen location in 60 targets. And the Houthis put that number slightly higher at 73. uh, But you know, this is what we're getting. And then on Saturday morning, the U.S. said that the attack that they carried out was targeting a radar center in Sanaa that they had missed in the first round of strikes. So predictably, the Houthis retaliate. They issue some very defiant uh, responses. Not only that, but the people of Yemen come out in support of the Houthis and to show unity, at least tens of thousands. That's the way it's been reported online. Certainly looks like that more than that to me uh, from the videos that I saw. But Houthis out mass numbers uh, declaring their support for uh, the Houthis and against the U.S. and Israel and, you know, their support for the Palestinians, uh, because, you know, that's why all of this is really going on uh, is because, the the you know, Israel's conducting a genocide in Gaza. The Houthis try to block Israeli land shipping through the Red Sea uh, to prevent that. And the U.S. is now fighting war on behalf of Israel to try to restore shipping through the Red Sea. Although that has really backfired since the U.S. has uh, done this, uh, the Houthis have attacked a few ships, hit a few ships, and they say that this is going to continue and is now not only just Israeli land shipping, but American shipping. So the U.S. has carried out three more strikes since then. So five total in the past week. The latest one, Misty, I, I, you, you're forgiven for not being up to date on because the CENTCOM just announced it probably an hour and a half or so before uh, I joined you here on air. And we we really don't know the, the total extent of the strikes uh, at this point, particularly the last two rounds of strikes that have happened over the past 48 hours. Uh, but overall, it doesn't seem like the U.S. has done all that much damage to the Houthis. If anything, it, it seems their missiles and drones targeting ships in the Red Sea have become more accurate, not less. Yeah. And you mentioned the uh, kind of defiant responses from Yemen. And uh, you have another article out at antiwar.com from January 12th. That was my birthday. Uh, Yemen issues defiant response to U.S. and U.K. strikes. And there's a quote in here um, that I thought, I mean, I just wanted to like stand up and cheer when I read it. Uh, Muhammad Ali al-Houthi, a member of the Houthi Supreme Political Council, uh, as reported in Reuters, said, quote, we did not attack the shores of America, nor did we move in the American islands, nor did we attack them. Your strikes on our country are 
are terrorism. They are terrorists and they are amazing at lying to the people of the world, but the awareness of the Yemeni people is a different awareness. Do you, Yemeni, think that America is defending itself or is it a terrorist, end quote? And I thought that that was incredibly powerful because I think that speaks to kind of um, uh, the global attitude uh, of the United States. And I think we're very insulated here in this country where we think, oh, we're the best country in the world. Everybody loves us, right? That is just not the case. And I think that uh, what, what, what he said there is entirely accurate. The Houthis have not, Yemen has not attacked us in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And so the idea that we are now bombing them um, on behalf of Israel, that is terrorism, Kyle, is it not? Hey, yeah. And look, Misty, if you look at all the things going on here that the U.S. does and all the very obvious hypocrisy, it's not just that uh, the U.S. is now attacking Yemen, but that the U.S., enforce the Saudi blockade of Yemen for seven years from 2015 until 2022, and then slightly less resti- restrictive after that, and then is going to try to claim that it needs to attack the Houthis to restore freedom of navigation. I mean, any government that the U.S. doesn't like typically has their goods restricted. Uh, Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, Venezuela, uh, Syria, so, you know, Yemen, all these countries are under heavy, heavy sanctions. And and then the Houthis try to enforce basically their version of sanctions against Israel for conducting a genocide far worse than what any of those other countries that the U.S. has sanctioned is doing. And then Washington stands up and starts carrying out strikes against the Houthis. So it's just, you know, completely ridiculous what the U.S. policy is here. Yeah, that's a great point, actually, because I think that that just highlights the, I mean, uh, there's a lot of things that highlight uh, American hypocrisy, but that is a, a good example. Uh, the idea that, um, you know, they are, uh, uh, we're angry at them for creating this blockade when we do that to numerous countries around the globe on a regular basis for um, a whole host of reasons that make no sense, generally speaking, or it's just because they won't go along uh, with our agenda or whatever. Um, so yeah, it is, uh, all of that is very absurd. Um, and it, it's very frustrating, but I think that it's, again, watching Yemen of all countries, right? I mean, Yemen, as you just mentioned, has been through it. Um, they have been dealing with their own situation for a very long time. They're a very impoverished impoverished nation. Um, uh, and the idea that they are frustratingly the only country who's really done anything substantive to stand up for the people of Gaza. Um, it's, I mean, I fear for them, obviously. When Scott Horton was here on the show, he also said, I wish they would knock it off because they've already been through it and they're going to, I mean, this is, they're just going to invite more um, chaos upon them. Um, but it's also inspiring. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of cool to watch Yemen um, of all countries, this tiny little nation really stand up and use uh, what they can, which is the Red Sea access um, in order to stand up against Israel for Palestine. So um, yeah, it's definitely very interesting. Okay. I want to talk to you about um, Biden's comments because ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. We got to take a quick break and get headlines. We'll do that on the other side of that. Hang tight here on TNT. We interrupt this program. Here we go. This is huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Now, TNT Radio News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. On Wednesday night, the United States reportedly initiated a series of strikes targeting what are believed to be militant sites in Yemen. This action occurred just a few hours after the U.S. government designated the Houthi rebel group as a terrorist organization. In the eastern region of Europe, Russian and Ukrainian forces are engaged in intense and bloody combat amidst freezing conditions. Denver's primary public hospital, Denver Health, is facing severe financial strain due to the migrant crisis. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 
365. We never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth, from government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. All right. We're here with Kyle Anslow. We're talking about uh, the situation in Yemen, which has been escalating for some time now. There's now been, as Kyle just informed me, five U.S. strikes on Yemen. Um, And today, President Biden was asked about this. um, And as Kyle tweeted out earlier, he's uh, so he was asked if the bombing in Yemen is working. And the president said, quote, well, when you say working, are they stopping the Houthis? No. Are they going to continue? Yes. End quote. All right, Kyle, what the heck? What do you think about that? Yeah, so I I think this quote is actually really important, Misty, because when we were leading up to these strikes in Yemen, which we were talking about before it happened, and I was explaining that the U.S. really doesn't have a good option here. The U.S. bad Saudi Arabia in a a war in Yemen from 2015 until 2022, carrying out massive airstrikes in that country, and it did hardly anything. And the Houthis just got stronger and stronger throughout that conflict. And so, you know, it seemed very obvious that the U.S. wasn't going to carry out more significant airstrikes in Yemen uh, than the the than Saudi Arabia did, which meant that the, the U.S. wasn't going to be able to stop the Houthis. And, and so there was this problem that airstrikes were not going to work. And so once the U.S. starts doing them, though, they can't back off. And, and you end up with this very massive problem of the U.S. carrying out these airstrikes in Yemen that really don't have any anything that they could accomplish. Yeah. And uh, I think just the... Um... What's the word I'm looking for? The uh, kind of nonchalant attitude that Biden has, at least publicly. I just watched the uh, most recent episode of Conflicts of Interest, which Kyle hosts. Yeah, Dave DeCamp on, who I also love. He's been on the show uh, several times as well. Um, and Dave was also kind of taken aback by that, that they are. I mean, the Biden administration isn't even pretending to care, right? Like they're not even um, for the optics of it. They're not even pretending to care about the situation. They're not pretending to care about uh, the people of Palestine. I think that they've made some very like uh like i think antony blinken has uh, you know tried to make some very vague statements about civilian casualties or whatever but they have really just not um uh and i think that this this uh, statement from biden i think just highlights that they just really do not care uh they don't care about the optics they don't care what the people think and it's just um i don't know it's nuts and you're right the 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 situation with saudi arabia even saudi arabia is calling for the us to avoid escalation in yemen you have an article out from january 12th talking about that um but it, it really just seems like uh, uh, Israel is calling the shots here, right? Yeah. And, you know, another thing here, Misty, is there's a recent statement uh, made by the new senator from California who replaced Diane Feinstein, Senator Butler. And she said that it was actually dehumanizing to call for a ceasefire in Gaza. <laughs> and so I think a lot of what you're seeing now is just the the horrors of Gaza are so extreme that you'll she actually said to honor the the innocent Palestinians we can't call for a ceasefire to honor them I mean it's absolutely ridiculous right 
But when the policy that the when the Biden White House develops its entire foreign policy around supporting democracy versus authoritarianism, and then the U.S. ends up waist deep in a genocide in Israel, it has to either admit it's wrong, which is never going to happen, or roll out the most extreme propaganda campaign on behalf of Israel that you could imagine uh, in order to cover all this up. And so, yeah, it's just it's absolutely absurd what the Biden administration is doing in the entire Middle East policy now, including no longer not not only not backing Saudi Arabia's war in Yemen, but now waging a war in Yemen against Saudi Arabia's wishes. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. And it's just so it's yes, insane. That's that's really the only word. That's it. That's it. You said it. Um, okay. So let's also talk about, and I, uh, um, I talked about this briefly yesterday, uh, at the top of the show, because, uh, I had, uh, tweeted out that I have been completely inundated with, uh, Israeli propaganda with Zionist propaganda on social media. And that's been the case really since October 7th, but I feel like it has really kicked up. So I tweeted out, Hey, am I the only one seeing this? I was not hundreds, maybe even thousands of people have responded at this point and said that they too, uh, are also seeing an uptick in that kind of a thing. And you actually pointed out to me, you tweeted at me uh, that that's because Israel has bought tech for mass influence operations. So tell us about this. Yeah. So this, this is horrific. It was reported by Haaretz and for people who don't know, Haaretz has some very good people on, especially the editorial side, but typically on the, the news desk, they're, they're, you know, information steeped in propaganda. And this article certainly was. They say Israel needs this mass influence technology, Misty, because people are being misled about what's happening in Gaza and they need to be able to set the record straight, which means they need to make what's happening in Gaza look far more humane. Uh, yeah. So, it, you know, extremely disgusting what this policy actually is. But, you know, over the past couple of weeks, uh, apparently this has been rolled out. The only real details we know about that they have only started one mass influence operation so far, and the only detail Haaretz provided, Misty, is that it was not in Hebrew. So I, I guess, I, I think we call guess that it, it's in English and that it's targeting Americans, uh, this mass influence campaign by Israel. And there's a couple of things it seems to be doing. One, generating content that they're going to label anti-Semitic, anti-Zionist, violent, or graphic. And you know, I really wonder, Misty, we saw the banning, temporary banning, but banning of, uh, you know, several accounts, including journalist Ken Klippenstein and, uh, you know, I think our mutual acquaintance, Alan McLeod, uh, who who works over at Mint Press News. And, you know, he he's a very good and very important journalist and writer. And these people are banned from, from Twitter or ads. And you had to wonder if maybe it's this system that was able to generate a whole bunch of complaints against these accounts very quickly and end up causing a systematic ban. Yeah, it reminds me of the NAFO or the NAFO or whatever, the Ukrainian dog stupid troll accounts. Um, and they were very good, too, at the mass reporting thing. But this is, I mean, really just software. I mean, this uh, it's just a it's a troll farm, essentially. Um, but this is uh, and I, I love the idea that they say that they need to do this because they feel like people are being misled when it is Israel, in fact, who has been caught in numerous lies since October 7th. And not just little lies. We're talking about beheaded baby kind of lies. Um, so, yeah, the idea that they need to correct the record. Uh, maybe just stop lying. I mean, you could just try that. Um, but also, I think uh, a, a really interesting and significant piece that you have out from this past week is, um, and it kind of it goes along the same lines, is that the CIA is providing Israel with intelligence on top Hamas officials. Not surprising, but tell us what, what's going on with this. Yeah, Misty. So there's a couple of reports here that I, I based my article on. One is by 
Ken Klippenstein and Matthew Pate at The Intercept, where they got a document through FOIA that suggested that the U.S. was sending targeting officers to Israel, so helping them in the targeting. The other article is from The New York Times, and it goes into how Jade Sullivan, after October 7th, created a CIA task force designed to collect intelligence, and then the U.S. ramped up drone operations over Gaza to collect this intelligence and actually upgraded the threat level of Hamas from level four to level two. And just so people understand, level four doesn't get a lot of attention. Level two is right below uh, Russia, China, North Korea, Iran. And so level two is the, you know, the most significant terror actors. And so, you know, it seems likely to me, Missy, that this means the U.S. will be generating intelligence on Hamas for years going into the future, which means a lot of propaganda, you know, a lot of need and a lot more funding for them to surveil Hamas and carry out operations against Hamas. And of course, you know, I think it's very important. When the Biden, uh, Biden administration officials are leaving the White House, they were concerned that they had provided too much targeting assistance and intelligence to Saudi Arabia during the war in Yemen. And that that could open them up to be prosecuted for war crimes. And yeah. so I would have to imagine the same thing is true here. Yeah, no question about it. And uh, again, not surprising, but I think that people need to be aware of the fact that it's not just uh, weapons and money that we are providing to Israel. We're also providing intelligence. We are steeped entirely in this conflict. Um, and there is no... Uh, um, there's no gray space, right? There, it, we are. It, it is basically a U.S. war, which I know. That, uh, uh, you know, there was one Israeli official that tried to say this is not your war, and then Netanyahu told Blinken it is your war. So there's been some confusion there. We'll talk about that. Uh, but we have to take a quick break. Hang tight. We'll be back here on TNT. When the world's endangered animals need help most, when their lives are at greatest risk, when they would otherwise be lost, the International Fund for Animal Welfare is there, taking action to rescue the animals we love, to protect them and their threatened natural habitats. But the danger to animals the world over is growing, and the need for your help has never been more urgent. On land, you'll help stop poachers from threatening and killing elephants and big cats for the illegal wildlife trade. In the oceans, you'll help rescue dolphins, whales, and seals from deadly hazards. And you'll help rescue, rehabilitate, and release vulnerable animals when disasters strike. Here at home and around the world, we can't do this work without you. See how you can help animals and people thrive together at joinifall.org. Life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. Prediabetes does. One in three adults has prediabetes. But with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. And you can change the outcome. Take the one-minute prediabetes risk test today. Go to doihaveprediabetes.org. This is the Misty Winston Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. We're here with Kyle Anselm. We're talking about Israel-Palestine. And as I mentioned before the break, um, there's been some... Um, mixed signals that have been sent as of recent. Uh, so uh, Antony Blinken, as I mentioned earlier, has made some very weak requests of Israel in terms of 
um, you know, uh, attempting to uh, avoid civilian casualties and things like that. I don't think any of uh, the statements that he's made or the requests that he's made have had any teeth. I don't think that they've really, it's really, I think, just publicly, they want to be able to say that we told them to be careful, right? Um, so, but he uh, he has made some of those requests and um, there's been some, uh, at least one Israeli official who has said, listen, this is not your war. Like, the, we, we're not going to take the advice of uh, foreigners in this situation. But then uh, recently, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu Netanyahu said quite the opposite. So tell us about that, Kyle. Yeah. So it's, you know, just whatever serves Tel Aviv in whatever moment is what they're right. going to say at this point. But, you know, I think this is really important. And I should mention here, I believe it was like middle of October, there was a fairly mainstream outlet that said basically that the White House saw what Israel was doing in Gaza was pretty horrible and they wanted to hedge their language a little bit. And so they went from the absolutely full-throated support like israel does everything right policy scale bad to you know we, we want israel to curb what they're doing but we're not going to conditionate or anything like that so that was uh that that's kind of where the white house i think still is rhetorically but Antony blinken recently made a trip to israel and he spoke with several ministers other than Netanyahu, and we just learned today, or yesterday maybe, from NBC News, one of the reasons that uh, Blinken did that was because the White House is now looking beyond Netanyahu in Israel, which I'm not sure what they're going to find other than right-wing extremists like uh, Itmar van Gavir and Smoltrich, who we'll talk about in a minute here. Uh, but also, the, the other issue is, is I think that maybe Netanyahu could look beyond the Biden administration to say RFK Jr., Trump, Nikki Haley, or Ron DeSantis, who are probably going to spend most of the next nine months trying to sound like they are greater hearts, hearts and greater friends of Israel than Joe Biden is, which is kind of their own uh, political campaign tactics at, at this point anyway. So uh, I, I think that's kind of a foolish policy. But Blinken, you know, at Scalant, the defense minister of Israel, if he would uh, curl back or curb at the intensity of the operations in southern Gaza, and Galan told him that that was not going to happen. Misty, we see today that Israel is now attacking right around the largest operating hospital left in Gaza that's in the southern city of Khan Yunis, and it appears that those operations look a, a lot like the operations that happened at the Al-Shifa or the Al-Ali hospital. And so that would suggest that sometime in the near future, they'll be raiding, the Israelis, Israelis will be raiding and destroying that hospital as well. So, you know, Israel is ignoring the U.S. there. Lincoln, I guess, spoke with the finance minister, uh, Smoltrich, and one of the requests that he has has made and that Biden has been making of Netanyahu for about a month now is that the Israelis release uh, the Palestinian tax money they collect on behalf of the Palestinian Authority. This is really important for the Biden administration because they see their long, the long-term solution to Gaza is a two-state solution governed by the Palestinian Authority. And if Israel causes the financial collapse of the Palestinian Authority before then, it completely ruins their long-term plan. Of course, Netanyahu says, says several times that he's not going to allow the Palestinian Authority to govern Gaza, but you know that that's Biden's dream anyway. And Smoltrus not only said no, but but that it, it's Israel's war and they're going to do what they want, including not releasing that money. And he also went on to call for the ethnic cleansing of Gaza, which is one of the few, as you mentioned, one of the things that uh, the U.S. is asking Israel not to do. And so Israel just could continue to ignore the U.S. Just today, uh, Netanyahu said that there will be no Palestinian state, and this is the whole thing that the Biden administration says they're working towards in Gaza. 
Gaza, getting rid of Hamas so you could eventually have the Palestinian state. And Netanyahu is saying that's never going to happen. And still, the Biden administration doesn't appear any closer to conditioning aid to uh, um, Israel than they were yesterday. Yeah. Yes. And it's so it's amazing to me. Uh, For those of you that don't know, uh, earlier today, it was uh, uh, Netanyahu gave a speech where he literally said, quote, in the future, the state of Israel has to control the entire area from the river to the sea. Yeah, I said it. He said from the river to the sea. I wonder if he's going to get banned from Twitter for saying that, because that's uh, uh, that's some crazy language there, right, Elon Musk? Uh, but yeah, and Caitlin Johnstone, who I love, uh, tweeted out today, Netanyahu said he opposes Palestinian statehood and that Israel must control everything from the river to the sea, while Biden said that the repeated bombing of Yemen isn't deterring Israel, but they are going to keep bombing anyway. A, an unusually honest day for empire managers. And yeah, they uh they're just saying it out loud and it's uh it's it's certainly interesting to to watch them do that. But um and I, I when I was watching a, a conflicts of interest with you and Dave you were talking about there's this uh conversation now that they the operations in the north of Gaza are going to cease because they want to start focusing on the south of Gaza. Now they want to destroy the south. Um and uh, there's this uh th- this debate about well, uh, I think Anthony Blinken said that uh, Palestinians need to be allowed to return home home uh, to the north. Return to what, Kyle? There's nothing. There is nothing. They have completely leveled the entirety of that area, right? Right. And a, a second point here, too, Misty, is that Israel says, well, we will allow it once the hostages are released. Uh, and a very important point to make on this is there's an article in the Wall Street Journal that says that the Netanyahu government is rejecting or refusing to to pursue an offer that would end hostilities in Gaza in exchange for the re- release of the rest of the prisoners. And then A second note on that is they say their objective in Gaza is the release of the hostages. And remember, this is supposed to be one of the most advanced armies in the world going up against uh, what they label as, you know, just a a fringe terrorist extremist group. And so far, Israel, there's been about 100 hostages released through the hostage release deals. And then Israel has killed three hostages and rescued absolutely none. And, you know, the, the three hostages they killed, those are the three they definitely killed, you know, a sniper saw the Israeli hostages. They knew the Israeli hostages were in the area. They saw the Israeli hostages shirts off, holding a white flag, killed two of them anyways. And then when a third was standing in a doorway, another soldier shot and killed him. And so, you know, the Israelis are not trying to release the hostages, Misty. If they want to do that, they would. And, you know, they don't want people to return to North Gaza. And as you said, you know, even if they did return there, there's no infrastructure. And if you look at what the situation in Gaza was even you know before October 7th just the devastation of the Israeli military campaigns you know from 2000 i guess 7 8 onward in Gaza uh, has destroyed a lot of the infrastructure and a lot of it has never been able to be rebuilt because Israel restricts what is able to get into Gaza, even you know the commercial goods, so 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 restrictive that you can't rebuild buildings and things like that. So once th- things are gone, they're gone. And Israel's never going to allow the amount of construction equipment into Gaza that you need to rebuild the entire place. And, and so, yeah, there, there's nothing, no hospitals, nothing for people to return to. 
Yeah, no, I mean, if you look at the the drone footage, which um, uh, there's uh, obviously they're trying to kill as many journalists as they can. So that kind of stuff can't get out. But uh, it is com it's really completely almost leveled. I mean, there's um, uh, some rubble and stuff. There's some buildings that are hanging on by a deer thread um, that have been completely obliterated, but there's nothing for them to return to. So the and now they want to go and bomb the south uh, and do that to the south as well. So, uh, yeah, it's just gross watching this all play out. And it's gross watching them pretend as if they don't know what what the uh, the objective is is here again i'll say it again israel has never been shy about their intentions here never they've been saying the same thing for years for decades uh th this has always been the goal this has always been uh the objective and it's it's just absurd to me that anybody is pretending otherwise but let's talk about um uh because i think that uh it is abundantly clear and i think anybody paying attention it is abundantly clear that this is very close to kicking off a, uh, a wider regional conflict in various different ways. And I think that it's important to point out that uh, the Biden administration is very well aware of that. And yet they reiterate their full and complete unconditional support for Israel. You have an article out from January 9th, which is uh, a couple weeks ago, but I think it's important to point this out. Blinken warns of expanding war in the Middle East, but restates full support for Israel. They're fully aware, Kyle, that they are um, uh, not only backing a genocide, I, there's no question about it, but they know that this is uh, almost certainly going to erupt into a, a, a broader regional conflict. Yes. Well, I mean, and since I wrote that article, it already has, you, you know, yeah. the, the most obvious example is Yemen. And of course it has been going on since the middle of October where, you know, this is, this is something that really bothers me, right? That the U S has these troops in Iraq and Syria. And essentially right now they're just at, at acting as sponges for the hate generated by Israel, right? Like these yeah. groups are so upset that the U.S. is supporting Israel as they're conducting a genocide in Gaza, that they're lashing out and conducting strike after strike against U.S. forces. It, it's it's absolutely terrible and so disrespectful to the thousands of American soldiers who, you know, dozens of them at this point have, you know, sustained some level of injuries, but again, who are essentially just there to absorb the hatred that Israel is generating. But I think the, the biggest concern here, Misty, has has to be Lebanon, where you even have uh, you know members of, of Biden's administration talking to the Huffington Post saying that we're doing everything we can to restrain God, Biden on the Lebanon issue. But you know, as the New York Times report, Biden is more involved in this Israel policy than anything else in his administration. So when he says that we back Israel and you know we would go to war with Hezbollah for Israel, then that's the policy. He's the commander in chief. That's what the American, uh, you know, uh, officials are saying to, to the Huffington Post. And so this is a, a real problem and a real threat that, you know, I think the major war that Biden could get us in here is in Lebanon and uh, against Hezbollah, which is a formidable fighting force and is going to cause a lot of death and devastation on both sides here. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, and I think, I'm not sure that that's not the goal, but I think also there needs to be concern about Iran. I think, listen, Iran has been a target of the United States for a very long time. And this opens up a prime opportunity for us to take advantage of conflict in the region to go after Iran. And I think that that's, um, uh, again, there's so many fronts where this could, um, I mean, really erupt. And I think, honestly, as you said, it really already has. I mean, with bringing Yemen into it, I think it really already has. It is already a, a broader regional conflict. I think that... Um, the surrounding Arab states are um, trying to play their cards wisely, I think. At least that's the impression that I'm getting, that they're trying to be mindful of 
uh, the actions that they take here. But I think that it is, um, it, it's, it's, it's insane. It is insane to me that this is happening, that we are doing this. Uh, and that, uh, you know, the Biden administration, again, really is making no apologies for it. They're not, uh, they, they refuse to put any conditions on Israeli support, which listen, if, if Biden, Joe Biden, the Biden, listen, Joe Biden's not doing anything. <laughs> The guy, the guy's not doing anything. But the Biden administration could end this today, Kyle. Right? I mean, they could le legitimately end this today without United States funding and military support and intelligence support. This would end today. Is that accurate? Yeah, uh, you know, Misty. I mean, like, if Israel really wanted to, could they keep bombing Gaza for a few days? Sure, but you know, the, the support from the U.S. is so important that Biden said no more. Netanyahu would have to end it for that reason, because, you know, in the in the even very medium term, Israel would need U.S. support to keep its military functioning. And as we just talked about, they're picking fights with everybody in the region. I would say, you know, the, the thing that's unfortunate, as you say, the, the Arab countries here, are, uh, Iran, too, have been very careful about how they're playing their cards. It's yeah. Lebanon that's trying, it's Hezbollah that's trying very hard not to escalate too far with Israel. And I think, you know, fortunately for the Iranians, you know, the more powerful you are, the more you could, you know, kind of turn the other cheek and not have to escalate too far. Now they have escalated recently with, with Pakistan, which is interesting, but you know, when we're looking at the, the Israel angle, I think Iran's going to be very careful. And part of that is the luxury of distance, but also, you know, the luxury of power where Hezbollah does have to worry if Israel starts attacking too many of their positions, maybe they're coming in for an evasion. So maybe they have to start escalating and launching missiles very quickly. And I think that's kind of where we risk getting into this major war where Israel escalates against Hezbollah, provoking an escalation, provoking the U.S. entering this conflict. And then we're in a major regional war here, Misty, that could be very deadly and dangerous quickly. Yeah, well, I think that that's why many of these states are attempting to, um, you know, show restraint, because I think that they realize that this that they are being baited. I think that there's no question about it. Uh, there is an attempt happening right now to bait them, uh, because I think Israel knows that if, um, you know, uh, Lebanon gets involved or anybody gets involved, that that will drag the United States in. I think there's no question about it. So uh, really quickly, before we run out of time, I want to talk about this because I think it's super important. Uh, you have an article out from the 14th. UN says providing aid across Gaza almost impossible as famine nears. And I think that, um, you know, obviously the situation in Gaza with all of the bombs and everything is uh, certainly horrendous, but this is an aspect of it I don't think a lot of people are paying uh, very close attention to. This is not just, um, you know, bombs and, uh, you know, that kind of, a, a, there is a, uh, it, uh, there is a famine happening. People are starving to death um, by the hundreds, by the thousands right now as we speak. Um, so, uh, and obviously Israel is making it impossible for any aid to get into Gaza. So uh, tell us what the UN says here. Right. And, and Misty, it's certainly horrible that tens of thousands of Palestinians have you know, died from Israeli bombs so far. Yeah. But you know, I've been saying this from the start. I think the far bigger threat is disease and famine. And, you yes. know, a part of this is just from my experience covering the war in Yemen, where, uh, you know, it was, I think, 60 percent of the deaths there were caused by starvation, another huge chunk caused by disease. And, you know, still a lot of people, you know, maybe 100,000 or more people in Yemen 
died from the Saudi and U.S. air campaign, which is absolutely horrific. But, you know, we are talking about hundreds of thousands of children who starved to death in Yemen from the, the blockade there. So it's really important to understand that restricting aid into Gaza, especially a region that has no infrastructure, Israel intentionally destroyed the solar panel array at the main water treatment facility for Gaza. So no clean water, no food. People are eating rancid food. Uh, people in North Gaza are hunting down stray animals, cats and dogs to try to eat. Uh, whenever a UN aid truck, which isn't very often, gets to North Gaza, it's almost immediately mobbed by people who the UN says show obvious signs of starvation, begging for food and anything they could get their hands on. Uh, the UN uh, humanitarian coordinator has said that he believes that at least 200,000 Palestinians are now in a natural state of famine, which means the, the, the state that people start to drop dead from starvation, disease, and yeah. is where hundreds of uh, hundreds of thousands of Palestinians uh, now are, that that's the level of suffering going on there. And uh, medical aid is also very much restricted too. So lack of antibiotics and anesthesia mean that a lot of these uh, very serious procedures that are happening after people receive horrendous wounds from uh, Israeli bombs or other munitions, very terrible burns. A lot of people have very serious burns in Gaza. And so, you know, amputations and things like that are happening in unsanitary conditions um without anesthetics even on children I, I mean just the stories that you hear from doctors from Gaza are absolutely horrific also misty a lot of times israel will go into these regions uh they'll you know besiege a hospital raid the hospital and then arrest like 90 percent of the medical staff and so only a very few number of doctors are left to treat hundreds of severely wounded patients yeah and i just want to remind everybody once again that half of the population of gaza our children. So these are kids living in these conditions. I just want to remind people of that. Uh, Kyle, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's great to have you as always. You're welcome back anytime. Everybody, please check out Kyle's work at antiwar.com and libertarianinstitute.org. Uh, you can find links for all of that stuff over on my Substack. I'll be back tomorrow with Jesse Jett. As Julian Assange says, learn, challenge, act now, and don't go anywhere. Timothy Shea's right after this right here on today's News Talk.